Welcome to Express Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We are a ministry of Arizona Message Ministry, the message to the number two dot US. We are supported financially by HaribouBooks.com. Make sure you go on there, buy some of the books that are there, donate them to your school, donate them to your church, donate them to your library so we can get the message of hope and the message of encouragement out. Enjoy the podcast. Glad that everybody has joined me for the Express Church podcast. We have a great time for about the next half hour or so. I have a, a distinguished guest. I have the Reverend Dr. Staccato Powell, and he uh, has his PhD. He's going to give a little introduction about who he is. The topic for today is the church role in addressing uh, mental illness, and particularly since it's Suicide Prevention Month, what should be the, the church's role? in uh, combating, dealing with mental illness and combating suicide. So, Reverend Powell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, uh, Dr. Zach. Uh, (laughs) I I really appreciate the opportunity to serve in this capacity today. And give us us a little background on on your PhD and and a little background on your ministry and how long you've been doing it so the audience can know as much about you as I do. Oh, yes, yes, by all means. Um, I, uh, I am a child, of, I should say, of the parsonage. My, my father, I'm a preacher's kid. My father's a preacher, uh, now a, a, a bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. And I've been preaching now uh, since I was 16. And I'm 36, so almost over 20 years. Can you believe that? Um, I, I, I did my initial sermon um, uh, at the tender age of 16 in Hallsboro, North Carolina, Mount Hebron, Ambie Zion Church. And I've been running for the Lord ever since, if not before then. Uh, but during that trek, I had the opportunity to go to undergraduate school at the first historical black college in America, uh, uh, namely uh, Lincoln University in Pennsylvania which wasn't too far from Philadelphia. Uh, If you ask how I ended up there, uh, being a preacher's kid, if you know anything about preacher's kids, we get moved around a lot because my dad was moved from North Carolina, where I was born, to St. Louis, Missouri to pastor. Then he left the pastor and started working for the National Council of Churches in New York and um, ultimately the opportunity, OIC, of America in Philadelphia, which is the Opportunities Industrialization Centers of America, he took Dr. Leon Sullivan's place in Philadelphia, and that's how I ended up at Lincoln because my mother uh, took a job on campus, and I got tuition remission. When you know it, <laughs> hey, if you get if you, hey, if you get free tuition, you pretty much got to go there, right? <laughs> that's the place, right? That's the place. Because as long as I kept my grades up, which you know I I, I had issues with based on the fact that I pledged Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated at. Beta chapter. And if you know anything about the Greek alphabet, beta is the second uh, letter in the Greek alphabet. And it was called bloody, bloody, bloody beta chapter for a reason, to say the least. Let's just say that. (laughs) So, you know, I did the best I could to stay in school and and to get tuition remission. But, you know, I had to fill out a few FAFSA forms and get some financial aid along the way. The Lord kept me uh, in undergrad. And then once I graduated from Lincoln in 06, maybe 07, uh, I went to seminary uh, 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 at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, you went back. Uh, you went back to your home state, huh? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I migrated <laughs> back down south where it's a little warmer, if you will. Uh, uh, they call it God's country, there North go. Carolina. So if you want to go to heaven, you got to at least go to North Carolina. <laughs> so uh, I was, I, I started out at Duke. And if you know anything about educational careers, sometimes you find yourself trying to piece certain credits together in order to fulfill the responsibilities or requirements for whatever degree you're working on. So I, even though I was accepted and started out at Duke, um, I ended up piecing things together and graduated from Shaw University, which is the first historical black college in the South, uh, where I studied under uh, the Reverend Dr. Gardner C. Taylor. All right. If you know anything about him, he was considered to be the dean of preachers. So uh, uh, all things work together for the good. I love my time at Duke, however short it was. Then I, I went to Shaw, and ultimately I also took some courses at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, um, in order to ultimately receive my Master's of Divinity. Uh, once I um, graduated from uh, seminary, uh, I went on... Um, to uh, United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. I received my doctorate in ministry. And uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on them and discuss that thesis with you and my dissertation, which consists of hundreds of pages. But uh, so that you know, uh, I had been pastoring ever since I graduated from college on and off, and uh, it was a requirement once you got your Master's of Divinity in order to enter the D-Man program, which is affectionately known by, um, you will have to have at least three years of pastoral experience after I have obtained your Master's of Divinity. So I didn't go straight into United, but, you know, let's just say the Lord has brought me a mighty, <laughs> mighty long way. And, and, and brought, brought you through some things, too. So, oh my goodness! So, and I, my understanding, and what I know about you is is your commitment to working with people uh, with mental illness, and that's kind of the focus of your. Because I know you've called me and said we need we need you to, on some things, Doctor Zach. We need to get you <laughs> yeah. involved in these things too. And the interesting <laughs> thing is, is I mean, I'm gonna take you back to 1976. So in uh. in 1976, I came out of high school. And I needed a, a part-time job, you know, just to get a little college money. I was playing sports, but I wasn't on scholarship like some of the other people were on scholarships. So I needed to get some extra money. So I saw this job, and this job was for a fill-in float uh, counselor. And I'm like, okay, I, you know, this can give me a little bit of money. And it was for mentally disabled criminal offenders. So I thought it was just just the name itself kind of intrigued me. So I went and talked to them, and they said that this that that population, uh, they did a study, and mentally disabled individuals spend more time in prison than those that don't. And the reason, a couple reasons why, is number one is that that there's a lack of understanding of the criminal justice system, and so and that a lack of financial resources. So to hire lawyers to be able to a team of lawyers to be able to work on their case. And then the third thing is, is that once they get into prison, they're uh, they're I don't want to use the I don't know how the proper term is, but 
the, the inmates that are not mentally disabled use their mental illness to get them to steal stuff and get them to fight and get and do a lot of things so that their sentence goes on longer. And uh, so and so I was watching. Go ahead, Doc. I was on a vicious cycle. Yeah, let's just say the least. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle, and and that was a, a part of the theoretical portion of my dissertation. Uh, I dealt with um, Michelle Alexander's New Jim Crow. And uh, in this book, she clearly states that there are more, should I say, minorities and young African-American men and just people in general who are, uh, well, let's just say, let's deal with the African-American race uh, that, that are incarcerated now and who were enslaved during the slavery days. Right. Uh, 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 man, I, I, could, I, could, I could really testify to the fact that uh, oftentimes, you know, mental illness is misunderstood for something else. And as a result, you know, that's why we have these issues with police brutality now, because whether they know it or not, some of the most of the people that they... Uh, pull over or, or, or attempt to arrest are dealing with some mental illness and mental anguish in a real way. Uh, in fact, um, the truth of the matter is through my studies, um, I initially wanted to address the church's response to mental illness. But when I found out, Dr. Zach, that there wasn't much of a response from the church, I had to change the title of my dissertation and my doctoral studies to educating the church on new ways to think about mental health. All right. Now, now I want to stop. I want to stop you there for a second, Doc, because that is uh, one of the things that a person told me that. And, and so to, to conclude on my story, that's what what the initial uh, motivation was for me to go to law school is to speak for people who are unable to speak for themselves because of my experience being a counselor and I'm looking at these, they were is for all men, obviously, because they weren't mixing uh, genders into a group home. And I'm talking and looking and seeing these men, and I'm like, man, you should not be doing five and ten years and, and coming out on probation. And and it was just a matter of keeping people on their medications, and then they would get off their medications, and and then they would start trying to self-medicate. And then when I heard that you were doing your, your dissertation on – uh, and and some some of the people I've talked to, they said that that you know you go to church and you go to church because you have a need to be filled up, which is a good reason to go to church. But then when mm-hmm. when somebody who comes in that is I'm going to call it a, a distraction to your ability to get fulfilled and filled up because of the manner by which they conduct themselves inside the church, then we really don't want them inside them. You hear what I said, Doc? We don't want them. Yeah, we yeah. don't we don't want them yeah. inside the church because they're interfering with our ability to get filled up. So what what do you what do you, what would you say to somebody who in your congregation or somebody that was that said, you know, you Dr. Powell, you've been letting the the, the some mentally ill people in there. You know, and and they're talking during the service, and and if they can't go to the church, where can they go? 
they, there you go. They, uh, part of my research shows that they are attempting to stigmatize and put a stigmata on society as it relates to mental illness so much to the point that they're closing down some major mental institutions, namely Dorothea Dix in Raleigh, North Carolina, one of the premier and major mental institutions when I was growing up. And they closed, I mean, they had a whole campus for mental institutions, and they closed that down. It is my hope and prayer that the church can bridge the gap the enemy has tried to place in in our lives through mental illness. For the simple fact that there are over 50% of the population that suffers from mental illness. Now, I think that's lowballing it. You said, based on you said half? One out of two people? Yes. Yeah, so if you see two people walking down the street, one of them are suffering from mental illness. And how, how are you categor- categorizing mental illness? So it can either be through schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, paranoid schizophrenia, that is, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression. There we go. So so (laughs) it's interesting because when people think about mental illness, they really don't think about stretching out that far, you know, uh, PTSD, uh, you know, you could you could walk down represent a number of, of military veterans who've gotten involved in the criminal justice system because of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And you, mm-hmm. and then I've also represented uh, a number of people who have gotten depressed, gotten on medication for the depression, then the medication or their insurance runs out, and then they have to go self-medicate, and then they get caught mm-hmm. with, with, with possession of drugs and then they wind up in the criminal justice system and then they get a felony and now they can't get a job and they have to sell more drugs and then they wind up in vicious prison. Cycle. <laughs> so that's vicious a vicious cycle. that's a vicious cycle we're talking about. So now that we yeah. understand that we're talking about mental illness from a a, a broader standpoint than what most people think about uh, and that is the person who's severely mentally ill and can't take care of themselves at all. So now that we've got the category of one and two people with mental illness, so that lets me know that inside the church, even some of the people that are complaining about mentally ill being in the church and distracting from their worship might be suffering from the, from a mental illness themselves. Most definitely. There is levels to it, Dr. Zach. There's levels to it. Uh, the truth of the matter is, like I said, I think that percentile and that percentage is not given those who suffer from mental illness justice. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, I believe over 90, almost 98% of the population has either dealt directly with mental, some form of mental illness or indirectly, meaning it has affected them whether personally or in their immediate family, um, extended family, friends, foes, you name it, you know, you know, for years, you know, they have tried to sweep this thing under the rug. But the truth of the matter is it has to be dealt with in a, in a real way, because if not, if, it does, if we don't deal with it, then it's going to deal with us. And, and I see it. Of, it. See it dealing with <laughs> us now. 
<laughs> not only in the, okay. in the profession, I see, well, in my profession, I see, because no one ever comes to me because I do criminal defense and family law. So people really just don't come to me uh, and say, man, my marriage is going really good. We just want to come and see a divorce lawyer just to let the divorce no, no, lawyer know where our marriage is wonderful. You know, people people come to me when when the, the and one out of two people to one out of two marriages, 50 percent are collapsing and they're generally collapsing because of the conduct. Obviously, that's go Well, there's a number of reasons, but the conduct that's going on in the marriage. And now that you've uh, interjected the fact that, you know, in, in the definition of mental illness that you have uh, presented, I can see it happening as I start analyzing the uh, divorces, you know, a person that and and almost every week somebody comes to me, I've got to divorce them. They're narcissistic, you know, and and controlling and violent. And so we start looking at all these reasons why uh, can't carry a job, can't can't control a job, suffering from uh, alcoholism, drug abuse. So, you know, all these reasons for people needing to find themselves to have to leave their marriage. So you add that to the, all the people I'm representing that that are in the criminal justice system. And I appreciate myself understanding that I'm dealing with every day and in uh, almost an entire group of people who are suffering from some sort of mental illness. And I never actually even looked at my practice from that from the standpoint of how I was looking at it in 1976 when I first started thinking about becoming a lawyer because of the people, but they had more what I would call more severe mental illness. So it's kind of interesting. I'm glad that you you brought that. And we got to make sure that that message gets out that we have to deal with mental illness. And and now we talk about how you equipped the church because if the church should be attracting people and the church should be identifying it. And I think that the church needs to be honest about it. That hey there's a whole lot of folks that are suffering and we need to approach them. So when you, in your, in your writings, what did you say uh, about how the church should go about getting involved? Well, first of all, when you consider the context we find ourselves in, in terms of scripture, they will say that I think it's Ephesians where it states, or maybe Ecclesiastes that states, there's nothing new under the sun. There was a portion of my dissertation that dealt strictly with biblical foundations, meaning where in the Bible can we see evidence of those who are mentally ill? And I contend, and I, and I think I'm right, you can find it in the Old Testament and the New. The Old Testament you can find it in that infamous story, I would say, the book of Job, where Job dealt with suicidal thoughts, just like we find ourselves in the month of September, which is actually known in, in today's society as Suicide Prevention Month. Am I correct? Correct. So, Job, you know, he would say, he would say, God, why did you let me be born? It was better if I wasn't born. And people couldn't understand what, what Job was going through. Even his own wife said, you might as well 
curse God and die. It must have been something that you have done. Okay? Right. And then in the New Testament, I want to say it's more so in the gospel according to Luke, where you have the demoniac of Gerasene. Right. I can give you the exact text. Give me a minute. But in any event, the demoniac Gerasene was riddled with, I thought, with paranoia schizophrenia, meaning he was dealing with multiple personalities and demons at that. And Jesus essentially healed the man from his mental anguish. And he caused those demons to go into a herd of pigs and the pigs eventually committed suicide and jumped off a cliff. Now, let's, and the reason I want to go back, I, I don't want the because some of the people that might be listening to this might not uh, have either heard this story or really delved into it. But I always like that story because Jesus shows up and Jesus asked them. Or one of them that asked, who are you? <laughs> who are you? And so as 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 we as the church are dealing with the issue of mental illness, we need to ask the same question that Jesus asked. And Jesus and, Jesus said, Who are you? And uh-huh. said, we're Legion. <laughs> we are many, right? Yeah, I was gonna say that. Was, he said, We're Legion. We are, and if you know anything about the term legion, that means many, you know, like a like an army of them, you know, a multiple spirits, you know, and, and strong and, and strong and ready for battle, and oh so man. and oh so man. we and we should we should from our standpoint as ministers and our standpoint from the church and our standpoint of people who have decided that they were going to take a lead in dealing with the issue, I think that we we can't go past that statement. Who are you dealing with? We're dealing with a legion that's attacking our member, our our members in our congregation, legions that are attacking uh, our people in our society, and so we need to understand that that as ministers and as church people, we are at war against people who what we want to call a legion that's against us, and we see that legion. If you say five, one out of two people. Are suffering from mental mental illness, and another, well, no, let me say it a different way. One out of two people have mental illness, and one out of two people are dealing with somebody that has mental illness. So we we're caught in in this this thing where we're dealing with a legion of demons, if you will, that is substantially affecting our society. Because we're not dealing with flesh and blood, but with principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And people refuse to accept that notion that there's a battle going on. And so now that we now that we know we have the battle and uh, then we have people who say, I'm in the battle of the Lord. So if you've taken on that to be in the battle of the Lord, we need to start going to basic training. And so, and so, if if you're the, if you're the uh, the person that's responsible for basic training to prepare people, church people for for in, in particular, 
on how to address the mental illness. I, I kind of cut you off. Uh, I, it sounds like the first thing you got to do is acknowledge that the Bible addressed it. And then from that standpoint, but I like the one, I like the other mental illness that I was thinking about is King Saul. Now, there's a guy that had had some significant mental illness. His mental illness was so so ingrained that he had to call Paul. Or, I mean, uh, David, David to come mm-hmm. and play the harp to calm him down. That's right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. and then his paranoia got so bad that he took a spear and tried to kill the same person who was designed to make him calm. And and, mm. I, and I see the same thing happening. What do we do? Uh, the doctor, you're supposed to go to the medical doctor. You call the doctor. I'm suffering from this. And the doctor says, okay, this is how we're going to treat it. All right, that's the harpist telling you how to keep calm. Then what we do is we throw the spear at the doctor. I'm not going to the doctor anymore. We throw the spear at the at the uh, mental health health facility. I'm not going to stay there anymore. We've had I've had people who have come to me and said, you know, my mother or my aunt or my child, I'm trying to get them help and I'm trying to get them in there. And as a result, they're they refuse to to get help. They're throwing the spear just like Saul at that did to David. They're throwing it at their own family members who are trying to help them and try to keep them calm. So what do you now that the spear got thrown at them, what are you gonna tell them when, when the spear is thrown at them and their family member doesn't want to get help? So, so you see, Dr. Zach, the, 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 the text in terms of the Holy Writ, you know, as the Bible, is riddled with examples. I mean, even David himself, you know, as he laments and, and, he, and he, is, he is coined with the privilege of writing psalms, some parts of psalms. You know, he deals with depression. You know, uh, 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 I mean, I think... If you're human, you know, I think at some point we all might have to go that route. Now, to what extent, that's that's not that's up to another source, because even with Job, you know, there was there was a war taking place behind the scenes that he was not quite aware of. You know, where God said the devil comes to God and says, look, you know, I've been roaming the earth to and fro seeking whom I might be able to sit this week. And I can't find nobody. He said, well, have you considered my servant Job? He said, yeah, but, you know, you have this hedge of protection around him. He can't be touched. He said, well, I'll let you touch his body, but you can't touch his soul. So when you recognize that the war is raging, Dr. Zach, and you're at battle, you're at war. You're at war. War is won, but we still have battles to fight. It is incumbent upon us as the church to realize, just like in Luke chapter 8, verse 26 to 39, where Jesus encounters the demoniac garrison, you know, he did not shy away from this demon or this demoniac. He didn't run from it. Even his disciples might have told him and those who were following him, just like I have parishioners follow me. So I let him go. He's crazy. You know, we don't need to be dealing with this. You know, we got better things to do. He said, no, no, no. So this is our responsibility. This, this is what we're here for. 
And the disciples said, well, if, you know, how can we deal with this the way you deal with it and you've dealt with it? He said, well, some things only come about. Some things like this only come about through fasting and praying. Now, like I said, it's levels to it. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to start with the first two that I hear. The first two that I hear is one. You can't run from it. If as, mm-hmm. as a church, if we see it, we can't run from it. And, and what I'm when I'm hearing that churches are saying is that this person isn't fit to you know be in our church because he's disruptive. That's the church running from it. That's the church mm-hmm. focusing it on themselves saying. But and, and I understand somebody who comes to church and has their own. And this is this is where I see the uh, fight within the fight. So if I'm depressed and I don't know if you've heard some of the the previous uh, messages. Oh, you, you heard the one where I was talking about with about suicide prevention. If I come into the church and I'm depressed, I come into the church because I want to hear some good, uplifting music, going to uh, enrich my soul. I want to hear an encouraging message. I want to get some hugs and fellowship before the, this pandemic thing happened. And I want to walk out of church on Sunday refreshed and ready to battle the depression that's coming at me. So that's my reason for going into church. Then mm-hmm. somebody else comes in with a different mental illness that affects my ability to have the weapons that I need to do to fight my mental illness. And that's all happening in the church. So what, what, are, you, what are you going to do, Doc? Let's, let's talk about the personification of perseverance. In, in the word of God, it says, he that perseveres in due season shall receive their crown. If we give up on those who are mentally ill, more mental, mentally ill than we are, then who's to say Folk won't give up on us. If you read further in the text, in that story I gave you about the mighty garrison, next time he was seen, he was seen clothed and in his right mind. You see the old folks say that when they testify, I thank God for being clothed in my right mind. And we miss that. We miss that, the importance of that. You don't know, but if we're willing to stick with our children, God's children, as they encounter mental illness on so many different levels. Yeah, it might be a burden. The along with burdens also come blessings. And I say that to say, mental, those who suffer from mental illness are some of most brightest people that walk the earth. They're very intelligent. I mean, have a very high IQ compared to those who don't suffer from it from a severe standpoint. So they can be beneficial to the body of Christ. But how will we know that if we're not willing to help them bear their cross similar to the way Simon Serene helped Jesus bear his? All right. And there's... You know what I'm saying? We we might just have to push this up on the church and both of us take Sunday off because there's some preaching going on right now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, I mean, Doctor Zach, God always has a, a ram in the bush because 
No, I dealt with mental illness in a real way. And sometimes we have uh, uh, modern day martyrs who, you know, go through things for the sake of others. And the word says, if I can help somebody else along the way, then my living won't be in vain. There was somebody that stood in the gap for me. I call on uh, I.E., my father. To see what you have, you have parents who just can't deal with, they have it in their own household, let alone in the house of God. So they say, well, you know, they admonish my father. All you need to put him in a mental institution. He needs to be locked up and the key thrown away. But had if our parents give up on us, if the church gives up on us, God forbid if Jesus gives up on us, then where are we going to go? But behind a prison wall where we're forgotten about and not properly medicated or properly treated, thrown away, when actually we can do great good for society if we're willing to face our fears, knowing that fear is a mind killer. There's a little evil that disintegrates us from the inside out. We must learn to face it and control it. And we can deal, we can, we can do it. We can do it, but we've decided that we just, we don't want to. We don't, we don't want to, or either we don't have the time, we don't have the, the talents, we don't have the treasures, but regardless of the excuse that we use not to delve in the matter, there really aren't any excuses. Because like I said before, if we don't deal with it, it's going to deal with us. So why not welcome someone into our sanctuary who's mentally ill? Who knows? They could be, they could be set free and delivered right then and there. There you go. There you go. It says, any be sick among you, call on the elders of the church, lay hands, and they shall recover. So what you're what you're tr- trying to say is that which is interesting is some of the the folks in the church um, are being selective in their uh, application of biblical principles. I'm gonna say it so mm-hmm. in case somebody want to hear it, being selective in their application of biblical principles. And I'm thinking about in James where James says. You know, don't give the first row to the person who has the high status, who's who's paying all the money. You know, <laughs> give the lowly as well, the person who's not dressed as well. Give them an, an equal, uh, equal place. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna share a story, and I call him my God, the Godfather. You know, we all know who he is. It's it's, uh, it's Warren Stewart Senior. And, oh yeah, yeah, first institutional. Huh? <laughs> I call him the Godfather because when I came here, when I came here, they said if you want to know how to preach, you gotta you gotta try you gotta listen to Doctor Doctor Stewart. And I always th- and I thought that he taught at the at the seminary school because everybody in seminary school says if you want to learn how to preach, you gotta. And so I'm waiting for his class to show up so I can take his classes. And I kept saying his class isn't showing up, so you know. And I said I don't really. I've tried thousands of cases. So if I don't know how to present an, a case in court, I said, it's easy. To, if I can represent a criminal and do a very good job, I should, it should be easy for me to argue a case for Jesus. You know? So I, I said, I'm just going to use the same principles, the same style and, and, 
be able to try to get a jury to get convicted using Jesus. If if I can if I can do it with a criminal, I should be able to do it with Jesus. So I never really focused in on yeah. on why, but everybody was telling me that. But so anyway, so I go into I'm going to court in downtown, and this guy comes running down to me. I'm in my suit with my briefcase, and he comes running down. And he said, Reverend, Reverend, Reverend. And I looked at the guy. I said, you know, I'm walking into court, right? He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm a lawyer. He's like, no, you look more like a minister than you do a lawyer. I had to stop. I was like, okay, all right. I like that idea of, of somebody seeing. And, and this guy, I should have never talked to because he was, he was, he was dirty he he was begging, you know, Reverend. Do you have some money? I'm I'm a lawyer. You know, don't don't talk to me. I'm a lawyer right now. I'm in my lawyer mode. And then when he <laughs> and then when he said you you're more like a minister than you are a lawyer. So I, so so then I had to be I, I had to flip. And then, you know he he was as I'm thinking back and now I'm wondering if God how much God was speaking through him because I had I flipped my mind. And I said, okay, if I'm a minister, let me take this time. And all the different lawyers and people are walking by, they're staring at me. And I said, what's your name? <laughs> I didn't even think about it. the same thing. Jesus said, what's your name? And he said, my name is Sam. I said, your name's not Sam. He's like, yeah, my name's Sam. I was like, no, you're Uncle Sam. I said, and, I'm a, and if I have to give money to Uncle Sam, you know, if Uncle Sam is taking money from me, I finally get an opportunity to willfully give money. To Uncle Sam. I said, so you're going to be my Uncle Sam from now on. Do you mind being my Uncle Sam? All right, you're my, you're my Uncle Sam. He's like, give me your car because, Reverend, I want to go to your church. And I'm like, wait a minute. Would you understand? I'm a lawyer. I, I don't have a church. I, I fill in with people. I said, but there's, I said, do you know any of the churches downtown? And he said, yeah, I know about Dr. Stewart's church. I said, he's the godfather. Go to his church. So time goes on. I see him again. I said, uh, Uncle Sam, how you doing? Then I had somebody take a picture. I want you to take a picture of my Uncle Sam and myself with my Uncle Sam. And people were like, this guy's in his suit and his, he's being proud of being with his uncle. And give him some money. What are you doing? Are you going to church? And, no, I need to get up there. So keep going on. I'm, each time I saw him, are you going to church? Going to church. So then I finally see him one time and he comes running up to me. And he had jeans on with a nice shirt. And I'm looking at him like, wow, what happened? Clean. And he said, he said, Reverend, I just want to let you know, I might need you again because I'm, I got a job and I don't think they're paying me right. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> we, over, the, over the course of a couple years, I see this guy, kept Uncle Sam, Uncle Sam, go to church, Uncle Sam, go to church. And he uh-huh. said, you know, I'm at church. All right, so you're at church. You're clean, everything's going well, and it was all of a matter of continuing to say, "You're my family, you're my, you're part of my family," and I haven't seen the guy since. I don't know if he went, but where what happened to him? But I have not seen this man in. I don't go downtown as much as I used to, but I'm just praying that that he he got healed. But he came up to me, ran up to me, and said, "I got you, help me." And I'm gonna need, keep needing your help if they don't pay me right. <laughs> well, well, sometimes we entertain angels unaware, Doctor Zach. That's it. And uh, and I want to be a conduit to mental health. In fact, 
uh, I'm working at Fisher and Museum Church in here in South Phoenix. I'm working on a multi-million dollar project that will include a mental clinic uh, and some other amenities such as a health and wellness center, some affordable housing, senior assistant living, maybe even a credit union, a NOAA daycare, uh, STEM academy and so forth. But I'm doing that as a way to take responsibility as in fact, it was the project for my dissertation is an extension of the project because a part of my dissertation was educating the church on new ways to think about mental health. And I still want to go back to addressing the church's response. And a part of our response, I think, is our to be able to rehabilitate the community through promoting mental health, whether that's through medicine, therapy, you name it. I mean, sometimes it helps to couple the two when trying to maintain some resemblance of mental health. But, uh, you know, uh, I think God has called us for such a time as this. I'm on the, I'm a part of the coalition with Dr. Stewart, I believe for African-American clergy that meets at least, it met at least once a month. And, uh, and the, and the discussion was about, uh, you know, the legalization of marijuana. And uh, 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 I mean, these, this is a meeting amongst preachers, right? And I won't name the preacher, but there, there were some who stated that they use in, in order, like you say, to self-medicate. Uh, and at first, it, it sounded like taboo, like, oh, my God, you, you smoke marijuana, but you're in the ministry. I mean, but as of recently, I mean, as of last week, I was approached by a member of the cannabis community who was looking for a church home. I mean, there's a whole community. They're looking for a pastor to shepherd them, and nobody will take them on. So I called my mentor. I said, Bishop, you know, would this be a conflict of interest? to pastor the cannabis community. He said, Jesus came that we all might be saved. Now, as long as the godless don't make those who are ungodly make the godly godless or you, you, you not become a sheep, but remain the shepherd. I don't see anything wrong with that. You have to have boundaries and draw lines somewhere. However, how can we just turn our backs on people? Just like you, you encountered that man downtown. You know, you're a Christian. You have love. You're a Christian in your heart. So you're, there was something on the inside of you, which should also be in the inside of other congregants and Christians that will not allow us to turn our backs on, on our people. Nevertheless, God, God knows not our children. You know, how can we do that? How can we turn our backs on people? God, God didn't turn his back on us. So I, I've, I've solicited support. I know, you know, buildings are kind of far-fetched now that things are being done virtually. But I still think it's necessary because there are people wandering the streets. Do you know that there are over three million people, homeless people in the state of Arizona? Yep. And most of the times... 
people are homeless because they're not being treated properly in terms of being medicated appropriately based on their mental situation. And some people knock down the prison walls. They go in, try, they, they try to get into prison because as a place of refuge. Yes, they I don't see have that any too. place else to. I see that. Know? I see that too. I had a, uh, and, and we have like two minutes left, but we, we're going to come on again, doctor, because we just, we just, just scratched the surface. But I think that this is such an important topic. We're going to come on again. I, I was in a, in a major case and it was two lawyers on the case that, so that, you know, it's a big case because they, uh, uh, we had two lawyers on it and we, we, our, we did our job. One of the cases that I, I can say, and I'm, and I'm not saying that we didn't do our job in any other cases, but I'm saying that we did such a great job in this case. The guy was facing 250 years, 250 years. And we, we battled so hard that we got the state to agree if the guy pled guilty they would give him time served and he would be able to walk out of the jail that day versus 250 years. And I went and talked to him and I'm like, you know, we've got him on the run, but we have him on the run because who we are. You know, when all said and done, when we get in front of a jury, I don't feel that all the smoke we've been blowing, for example, and what we've been doing, if it doesn't hold up, you're going to do 250 years. And he said, no problem. I'd re- what was the other option? What was the other alternative to serving that 250 years again? Plead guilty and walk out. Oh, wow. And, and, we, and the other attorney and I looked at each other and we said that he, we, he knew that he needed to be there because it was a better alternative then walking out. So, and as we, as we get ready to conclude, because we're gonna have to come back on. I'm, I don't know what you're doing next next Friday, but we might have to come on for for part two of this because we almost want to pick up there. He knew that being locked up in prison made him free from the troubles that he would have if he was on the street, and the reverse should be there. Freedom should have come. He should have said, "Yeah, I'm so glad." That you're let, I'm getting out because now I know I can get back to the church. I know I can get back to my family. I know that that's where my freedom is and that's where my safety is. But the safety was in prison. The safety, actually, if we if we use the terminology of the the message that you've been talking about today, his freedom was being locked in the cemetery. The demons had him locked up so much that he felt free. In the cemetery, not free, out in the, out with his family and out in the street, and so <laughs> I see. That's a problem. I see that. The, the, the doc is shaking his head. You know. We, yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> I mean, the AME Zion Church, uh, whether, whether people know it or not, is known as the Freedom Church. That's his coin. That's his motto: the Freedom Church. We had members such as Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth. The list goes on, okay? <laughs> and it is unbeknownst to me how we can call ourselves a freedom church, but seclude or, or preclude people from experiencing that freedom. 
telling them that they're they're better off getting it behind bars. Yeah. No, and 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 like you said, we could pick up we could pick up where we love about that because there's more where that came from. We're go, we're gonna pick up. You know, we we get a, we got a half hour on the studio, and I want to thank Jeff for opening the studio. Let us go with this, and I hope that people start understanding that mental that there's degrees of mental illness, but everybody's struggling with it, and you should not be. Um, you should not be ashamed. I, it took me 30 years before I openly spoke about something that happened to me and in, in struggle that I had. I had the same struggle that Job had 30 years ago, and it took 30 years to give to bring that message out. And we should not be afraid, and we should not be ashamed, and we should welcome people to speak about the troubles that are on their in their mind and the troubles that are in their heart. And and reach and grab them with joy, and reach and grab them with love, and say that the love of the church and the love of the people is going over going to overcome the troubles that you have. We're going to use the same power that the same power of love that Jesus used to free the de- the demonic man in the cemetery. And so we have a lot to talk about, uh, Doctor Paul. I'm gonna, I'm going to get you back on. I kept interrupting and stopping you, but our time is up. But but hold tight, for the audience. Dr. Powell and I, we're going to talk a couple more times and hopefully we can get the church excited and get the church energized and more importantly, get the church equipped to deal with people with mental illness. So I thank you for part one of this message, Uh, Dr. Powell. We're going to come back on. Thank you, sir. And um, God bless you and your ministry. You as well. We're we're going to get back on audience. So I, I appreciate if you if you follow this, we're going to have a couple more sessions on this. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening today. Thank you to all our guests. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Stephen Zachary Minister Gilbert, the Arizona Message Ministry on Facebook. And feel free to send me an email to the message2.us or to my private website, stephenzachary.com. Thank you to Haribo Books for supporting us. That's haribobooks.com. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks.